So we have been in a series over the last few weeks um, about I love to tell the stories. And uh, we've been uh, letting you hear from some of our various ministries. And it's been three weeks since I preached, I think. And I was forgetting how. So I, I'm taking a week uh, here. Uh, but we're, in, in relation to uh, confirmation, uh, the, the story I want to remind you of today, the story I want to tell you, is just a reminder of what church is really meant to be. Right? It is so easy for many of us that have grown up in church to make, uh, to, to focus on the things that really aren't essential to the plans God had when He sent His Son Jesus Christ to the world. Uh, many times the way we sort of define Christianity is about uh, a building, a location, a denominational tag, uh, some kind of preference in music and service, a time, a, a, a day of the week. And those all can have characteristics of our faith, but they are not the purpose of our faith. We, we tend to define church as a location, and actually in the New Testament, the church isn't a noun, it's a verb. It's a movement. It's a movement of God's love, of his grace, of his desire to reconcile a broken world to himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The church is meant to be that place where we as followers, just like the first disciples that were called and they followed him and they learned from him and they were confused by him and they were admonished by him a couple of times and, and they were prepared by him so that once he gave his life and ascended back into heaven and it took his seat at the right hand of God, that they would continue the ministry that he began, that they would become his hands and feet, that they would take his message of hope and light into the darkness. That is the mission of the church. And in, especially in the United States, we, we just get spoiled with all of this, right? We think church and we think fancy buildings and stained glass and organs and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's beautiful and, and great, but that, that's not what church is. And even our ministries that we do, if, if, if they are not aimed at telling the story of Jesus Christ, then we're wasting our time. If, if, if our, if we can have beautiful music and we do have beautiful music here. We have a lot of talented people, contemporary, uh, in our traditional services. We, we've just got so many talented people. We got the best music in town, but if we're not singing about Jesus, we're just clanging gongs. I'm not insulting you. The whole purpose of the church is to tell the story of Jesus Christ. That's, that's our mission. That's, that's what we are called to do. It, it doesn't matter where we do it, how we do it. It's how are we doing it? We were reminded just uh, over the last few years, uh, uh, unheard of circumstances in, in most of our lifetime. We were reminded that in order to worship, you don't have to go to a building. Right? And there's still people mad about that, that we closed the building, right? But we had the best sanctuary ever. I wish we could go back there today. That was my favorite time in church ever of leading church, of being able, and, and coming out of that, people, when are we going to do real church? Well, I thought we were. 
Oh, I get it. So church is where you come, cross your arms, stare at me for an hour, and then see if you can beat the Baptist to lunch. (laughs) Right? Unfortunately, that's what we think church is, but that's not what it's meant to be. It's meant to be a place where we are nurtured by our relationship in Jesus Christ and his gift of the Holy Spirit that allows us to take our gifts and share them in the world around us. That's what church looks like. That's what these two young ladies have just been confirmed into. You're part of the team. They're members of the church, but it's not the organization of the church. It's the church won by the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ that's eternal and will not fail. That's where our heart and our soul and our direction is. We're going to use a passage from 1 Peter uh, today. 1 Peter, uh, he has two letters for us in the scriptures. Um, Peter, remember, disciple Peter, lovable, foilable Peter. Speak first, apologize later. Class pet Peter, right? Always had to be right, Peter. Well, Peter went from lovable fool into powerful prophet, leader, martyr for the church. After Jesus was resurrected, Peter was changed by the gift of the Holy Spirit and became a a passionate uh, fighter to share the love of God and writes a letter, uh, writes a couple letters to the early church, a church under fire, a church under persecution, a church that needs to be reminded and, and empowered to go out and be the light in the midst of the darkness all around them. And I'm going to be in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And this is some of his teaching to us. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God, as the scriptures say. I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you're not like that. For you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. 
Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So as Peter talks about this, this new thing that we have through Jesus Christ, he begins chapter 2 by saying, So get rid of all evil behavior, be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. And we say, okay, sure. But that's who we are. (laughs) It's not so easy to get rid of that, is it? We've been trying our whole lifetime. And if you were raised in a church that taught moralism rather than salvation through grace, this is frustrating because you're not going to be able to take care of these problems on your own. It's in our DNA. It's who we are. Even the best person in our own still has darkness that lurks within them. In, in Christianity, we call that original sin or uh, the curse of mankind. It, it, it's, it's that thing that's within us that rebels against God. We need help in order to move forward. And so many times why people get frustrated with church is because they've never heard a message of grace. They just are trying to, to fix themselves by moralism. And it's morals are great, but they're not going to save you. The only thing that's going to save you is, is Jesus. And in that, he gives us the, he gives us the, 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 the cure for that. How do you get rid of all behavior, be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech? Verse 2, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Right? As Christians, we should always be growing. We should always be improving. We should always be adapting and, and, and maturing into the faith. Uh, he, he uses the analogy of spiritual milk. We need spiritual milk. We, we all need to drink spiritual milk. And, and, and let's just be honest, most of us still are at the milk phase. Right, Paul in one of his letters says, "Okay, you've been on milk long enough. It's time to eat solid food." I'm telling you, in the culture where we're at now, I'm happy if we just drink milk. Right? Let's just start there. (laughs) And how often should how often does a baby drink milk? Once a week? Once every three months? No. All the time. We got a new little grandson, Chipper. And uh, Chipper, uh, they live in, in San Antonio, and Lori's retired now, so she goes down to Nanny two days a week. And Nanny's a fa- fancy word for free babysitting. Uh, and so she goes down two days a week and takes care of him. And, and a couple weeks ago, she had another uh, uh, responsibility, and I could move my schedule around, so I went down. And my daughter and my wife are sure that I'm not going to be able to do this on my own. So they were preparing me. And in that, they were like, it's a routine. And, and here's what it's going to look like. He wakes up. You feed him. He plays a little bit. He cries. You put him down to sleep. And then repeat. And wouldn't you know it? That's what we did. Six, six times in a row for six hours. Wake up. Feed him. Play a little. Poop. Change. to t- Bed. Right? That's just what, what they did over and over. Because a growing baby needs nourishment. 
And what do babies do when they don't get it? Cry. Cry and poop. That's all they do. Cry. And Peter says, cry out for this nourishment. Now that you've had a taste for the Lord's kindness. You see, I think part of the problem with the American church, the Christian church, is we have a bunch of emaciated Christians that aren't nourishing themselves on the word of God. And, and, and we're operating in a skeletal form of ourselves. And we've lost all the power. And, and, and we had a taste for it once, but we, we've lost that and replaced it with, with hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. We have two young ladies that gave themselves to the Lord and acknowledged that this morning. Unfortunately, that's, that's an albatross in today's world. More and more of the younger generation is choosing not to step into the Christian church. And it's not because they don't love Jesus. Because they are fascinated with who Jesus is. The biblical Jesus who loves against all barriers. A a Jesus who brings uh, mercy and justice and kindness. A, A Jesus who sees even the littlest of people amongst the crowds. They love that. It's just when they've come to church, they don't see it. And they've opted for other opportunities. Because we are operating as emaciated, starving babies who aren't feeding ourselves with the grace of God. Where do you get your steady diet of God's word? I'm glad you're here this morning, and that's, your, your, your worship is certainly a part of that. But you cannot sustain a Christian life on one hour of, of nourishment a week. It's, it's got to be nurtured daily and multiple times daily. Cease without praying, Paul says. Cease without praying. That's not what he said. Pray without ceasing. That's the DEP version, and it's wrong, but <laughs> pray without ceasing, right? It's, it's, it's who we are. It's who we are. And once we get that, that, that spiritual nourishment, then, then we, now we're ready to be the church. And what Peter does here is he's giving an analogy of this new thing that God is doing. In the Old Testament, you used to go to the temple to, to be in God's presence. You, you went to the temple and it was this ornate building made out of stone, impressive as you made your way in uh, through the courtyard and made your way to the Holy of Holies. The closer you got to the center, the closer you were to the presence of God. And that was where you went to find God. That's how, where you offered your your sacrifices. In the New Testament, God has given his Holy Spirit that travels with us wherever we go. You don't have to go to the temple because we are his temple. He says Christ is building a new temple out of living stones. He's building his church on us. We are the building blocks of the church. It's not, it's not our stone structures here. It's not our, our stained glass windows. It's, it's not our traditions. It's not our denominational tag. It's the grace of Jesus Christ that is the center and the foundation of everything we are. 
He says, he says, Jesus is the foundation. He is the cornerstone of our faith. And he's either the cornerstone or he's the, he's the tripping stone, right? Some people are offended. This was the early, early church. The Jews were offended in the idea that a man was God and was the Messiah. And Jesus, the cornerstone of our faith, became the tripping stone for them, the, the stumbling stone. That still happens today. But for those of us who believe, he is the very foundation of our faith. And we are built on top of him, being hewn with those living stones that were being hewn and shaped and stacked and placed where God can use us for his glory. That's what the church is. We've, we've replaced being living stones with being stone-faced. Right? We are the living stones. You, that's why the church is the hope of the world. That's, that's how, that's God's plan. To save this broken world is through the way we act and, and interact in the world. It's through Jesus Christ that we are saved. He is the foundation of our faith. He is the faith. You can't have a Christian church without Jesus Christ. I know that sounds ridiculous. But unfortunately, too many times, that's what the church ends up doing. There are churches filled all over this morning, uh, all across our, our land, filled with people who are good church members but don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Thinking that their attendance is going to check a box that allows them to walk through the gate. Meanwhile, missing out on the, on the, on the food and nourishment and purpose and, and, and mission and acceptance that comes through him. You cry out for it because you've already had a taste of how good it is. That's what the church is meant to be. Verse 8, they stumble because they do not obey God's word and they meet their fate that was planned for them. But you, verse 9, but you are not like that for you are chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. You are chosen we, we so emphasize our choice in this, right? And, and our choice is important. It's how we acknowledge their profession of faith is meaningful, but their profession of faith means nothing if the God of all heaven and earth hadn't reached and said, I invite you to be in relationship with me, right? He's the first mover. He's the primary mover, He's the one that initiates. He chose you. He loves you. We are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. You have been adopted by God. You are, a, you are an heir to royalty, the king of kings, the alpha and the omega. You belong to him. You're his very own possession. You're not an accident. You're not just some being that's run around that has a divine uh, webmaster up there playing games with us. You're his very own possession. He loves you with everything you are. Once you had no identity as a people, now you're God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. 
Verse 11, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. There's some arguments going around right now that we that you need to not be associated with anyone who doesn't believe like you, think like you. Here's my question. If all we do is form homogeneous groups, how does the light go into the darkness? I don't often talk about this Methodist stuff very often, but one of the things that just chaps my behind (laughs) is the assertion that United Methodist pastors don't believe in Jesus. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, amen. If you do know what I'm talking about, stop reading that crap. Because I can tell you, every clergy person that I get the privilege of working in believes in Jesus Christ with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they might believe in, they might believe in some different things and we might have some differences in polity and some stuff like that. But the idea that overnight the Methodist church was going to give up the Apostles' Creed and start preaching all kinds, baloney. And I don't care if it was Donna preaching when she was here, Ryan when he was here before him, Bob when he was here before him, Warren before him, Monica when she gets up, Spencer when she gets up, the name of Jesus is proclaimed on this platform over and over. And that, let's not, let's not bring our politics into our religion. Right? Now, if that whets your appetite, come on Tuesday night. I'll expand. (laughs) The church without Jesus is toothless. It's just, it's meaningless. And, And I've got some other clergy right here looking at me. Right? We were compelled by the love of Christ to give our lives over to this. My life was changed by Jesus Christ forever and continues to be. I will preach Jesus in the morning, Jesus at noontime, Jesus at night, Jesus, 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 Jesus. That is what this church is about. Now you notice I didn't ask the girls, do you want, do you proclaim to become Methodist? I said, do you want to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself? And do you want to be a member of this local church? Because this local church means nothing apart from our belief in Jesus Christ. We happen to worship in a United Methodist church, but we serve Jesus Christ. Amen.